<laughs> no, you know, in fact, in fact, it's fine. Uh, we we have uh, Jeff who does our editing from Studio Timbo. Jeff, sorry, yeah. um, who does the editing for Studio Timbo? He gets it every week. Normally, last week, many of you may have noticed that we didn't do our normal sign out, and it's only because I was so excited. Um, for those of you who tuned in last week or did not, let me introduce you what we're doing. We have Nathan Dowdell with us. He is the game designer for Star Trek Adventures. I'm. Uh, we're gonna ask him a lot of questions. Last week. Boy, we got into his background, his first experience uh, in RPG, the first book he picked up, his mentality behind uh, getting new people into the game, the 2D20 system, the history of that. And so there's a wealth that we just talked about. Um, this week, we're going to focus on other things. I'm Michael Dismuke with Continuing Conversations. I'm also a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures RPG and a contributor to Continuing Missions, the number one fan site for Star Trek Adventures RPG. And Jim Johnson, let's introduce yourself. Sure thing, Jim Johnson. I am the project manager and line editor for Star Trek Adventures RPG, published by Mendipius Entertainment. I am super excited to have uh, Michael here as always with my, as my co-host, and then super excited to have Nathan back with us again. As our as our guest, so Nathan, would you please introduce yourself to the to the fan base? I'm Nathan Dowdell. I'm the lead uh, designer and developer for the 2D printing system at Modifiant Entertainment. And amongst that, uh, amongst the games that I've produced is uh, uh, Star Trek Adventures, um, which is and remains one of my proudest achievements. Awesome. And I, I want to add an asterisk to that because I forgot to do it last episode. Um, but uh, Nathan should properly be announced or introduced as the award-winning systems designer, Ooh. Nathan Dowdell, because uh, a number of his RPGs systems have, in fact, gone on to win industry awards. So uh, huzzah and congratulations for that. I was there. I saw the awards. I got pictures. I got the proof. Uh, so uh, congratulations on all that success. It's well-deserved. And uh, I hope it's the foundation for even more in the uh, in the future. One I count at this point because uh, the they're all games are team efforts. The one yeah. that I count especially is the uh, the silver award for best rules for Star Trek Adventures. Mm -hmm. um, I, I got sent the, the the medal from the NE uh, award for that one. So uh, mm -hmm. yeah, that's the one that I count. The rest is I, it was part of a team effort, but that one that one I claim as my own. Yeah. What does that feel like? You know, what does that feel like, Nathan? To to put that much effort into something and then be awarded by the industry for that. It's, it's not something that I typically think about. Um, it's, it's fairly common in, at least from my, uh, from my conversations with other people in the industry, it's fairly common in the industry to have that, to have a real sense of uh, imposter syndrome because a lot of the work you, that we do is kind of off by ourselves in isolation, just tapping away and getting, you know, it, getting the games made um so thinking about it in in those terms and those kind of big terms it's a little bit bewildering i think I've, i'm not really sure how what to make of it even several years after receiving the the award it's yeah it's a nice thing that i that that, that happened intellectually but i don't really no i, I don't really feel an influence of it well, hooray for you. It's really, yeah. it's really good. And and it's as we talked about the last episode, 
best game system I ever played. That's my personal opinion. Um, and so, well award, a, a, a well given award. So, so we're, today we're going to talk focus a lot more on Star Trek Adventures. Last time we focused more about you, your career, your passion. Um, so, give us an idea. If we were to look in on Nathan Dowdell's average day working for Modiphius, doing what you do, what, what, where is he at? What's he doing? I know you told me that during a heat wave once you had to go sit in a coffee shop, but but where would we normally find Nathan Dowdell working? Um, I mean, most of the time um, I would be either um, sat on um, sat on my sofa with laptop up on a, a little tray table in front of me or um, sat at a, a desk in my home office um, writing. The the home office is somewhat subjective because I moved house last year and it isn't set up. And the, the office in the new place isn't set up again yet. Um, but I will frequently, like at, at minimum once a week, try and get out of the flat to um, to write in a, a coffee shop or somewhere like that just to just to give myself a change of scenery and a, a you know, stretch my legs a bit um it's kind of necessary well i i live alone and i work from home so i don't so i need those opportunities to go out there and actually interact with other people and you know get some fresh air and such as much fresh air as you can get in the middle of a city <laughs> and so are there certain settings that inspire you mentioned a coffee shop but do you ever find any other settings that inspire you to write well, i've tried a few different places um in um here in Nottingham, um, we've got a couple of really good gaming cafes um, uh, that's kind of catered to kind of different clientels. Where one is very much it's a friendly local gaming store that also happens to be a cafe, and the other is very much it's a cafe, it's a bar cafe that's also got a huge games library and rents out tables for people gaming. So it's a, yeah, they, they kind of serve different clientels. But during the court during the day. When most people aren't really, yeah. When most people are at work, there are a nice, quiet environment to sit and get sit and get some work done. Being surrounded by games and people who game is, yeah, often quite conducive for that. Um, but beyond that, just somewhere, yeah, quiet and comfortable, and um, where I can stop and have lunch without without uh, going too far. Um, that's normally about the the minimum. That sounds right, Jim. I never asked you that. What's your preferred writing location? Um, actual writing. Uh, well, so I still use. Where is it? I still use for all my drafts. I got this old ancient Alpha Smart Neo. This is what I write all my first drafts of everything on, and um, it it doesn't connect to the internet. It doesn't have any games. It doesn't have. Any, it's really just a glorified electronic typewriter. And in fact, I have to I have to plug it in via USB into my computer and then manually dump the text into a into a word processing program. But this has served me so well for twenty odd years now that I can and it's so light. I mean, it's it's as light as a as a regular keyboard, right? And I can take it literally anywhere. Like the batteries in this thing do not die <laughs> ever. It, it runs on three three double A's, and uh, I've taken it to. I've I've written on airplanes. I've written on uh, the sides of mountains. Uh, I went to uh, New Zealand for my honeymoon, and we were in Hobbiton, uh, the uh, you know the the set and the Hobbiton. So I, I brought it with me in my backpack, and I, I did a little bit of writing in Hobbiton. So uh, I don't have a preferred place to write really. I just try to get out, especially I try I try to get outside when I can because uh, I like I like to have trees and and nature and and sounds and stuff. But I also listen to music when I'm writing, so I've always got my headphones on. Well, I have to ask you have a backup of that just in case something happens to it. 
Uh, no, because it's indestructible. I'd be searching for two backups. Yeah. No, it's a, it's solid state memory, and uh, once I get it onto the computer, I I I, uh, I dump it all into Scrivener. And Scrivener is uh, automatically saved to the cloud. So I, I'm never going to, I mean, never, all, all things being equal, uh, something will happen. Like there'll be an EMP burst or something and we'll lose it all. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but no, I don't really have a preferred place to write. I mean, lately, especially because over the last couple of years, I've been making the transition from writer to project manager. I don't do as much writing on the game as I used to. Um, I do a ton of editing, right? And all of that has to happen on the computer because I just can't, I can't make it portable. I mean, sometimes I could use my laptop and do it, but it's just much easier to be at the desktop, uh, cranking out the the editing and then the and then the layout revisions and the proofreading and stuff. Uh, but when I'm doing fiction writing or I'm doing my own kind of stuff, I've got my Neo and I'm literally anywhere in the house where I if I need to change the scenery or change a pace or something. Sounds great. Cool. I like knowing that. Good. Okay. So let's hey, hold on. Let's let's, let's oh. get What's your preferred zone of of, uh, of writing? I, very much similar to you. Um, I, I do have the most amazing office setup. I do. I have a home office and I have, I'm looking right now at a giant screen plus a screen TV plus yeah. my laptop. And I love it for research because I'm a very big, put all my research on the side, drop everything in the middle and go. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's super convenient. So when I have to do a huge project, then I'm, I'm definitely going to choose this as my location. However, if I'm just writing stories, not working about mechanics or editing, I take my laptop and I go outside in the yard. I have a nice yard view of the Bay Area. So that's it. Or um, I write. I love going on business trips. I tend to, for some reason, write amazingly when I'm on business trips. Um, you know, uh, maybe even at a bar. I'm sitting at a bar by myself. I've got a laptop and I'm just writing. I just like that environment. Even the airport inspires me. Um, but yeah, definitely. That's my setting. Yeah. All right. Anyways, Star Trek Adventures. Let's get back into it. Nathan, if you had to give an elevator speech pitch as to why someone should pick up this game, Star Trek Adventures, what would that elevator pitch be? It's the only Star Trek RPG that has ever focused on recreating Star Trek-style storytelling. Telling stories like those that you see in the episodes of the uh, the, the, the various TV shows. That was always the focus from the the the, the start. You know, it, it wasn't. You know, you're all an ensign now. Work your way up to to, ha- to having any uh, any rank. Yeah, it was always okay. If you could see it on the screen, you can play that. Powerful. That's a great. That's a great elevator pitch. I think that. That's like Jim. Would you add anything to that? No, I think. Uh... Especially that last little bit you said, where if you can see it on screen, you can play it. I think, uh, and, and you know, to be to be transparent and clear, like I I love the fact that that was the design intention from the very beginning. I think it's taken us a few years to get to the full scope of that. Partly because, and, and this is certainly no fault of anybody's, it, it, partly because all those new series came out, right? <laughs> so, like, we didn't know Discovery and Picard and and Lower Decks and Prodigy. We didn't know those were all coming. Um, I think I mean, maybe we had heard about Discovery when we were developing the game, but uh, for the most part, um, we didn't know how much deeper the the setting would get in the five years that the game's been out. And I think um, over over a course of years, like especially once we once we brought up the Klingon book and then the Player's Guide, um, we were able to even expand that scope even further, right? Um, but yeah, I think at this point, now that we've got you know um, a, a a good backlist of stuff behind us, I think. I would struggle to imagine if there's anything on screen 
in all of the 55 years of Star Trek that you couldn't do in the game with with a, a little bit of work or a little bit of tweaking. So I, I think we've we've gotten to the point where we've been able to fully realize it um, all, all based on that, that, that core book from the very beginning, because that was the foundation of everything. And it was so good. And I know my group, when we were playing testing it, we were so excited because this is like somebody, somebody finally gets Star Trek the way we want to run it at our game table to where, to where we wanted it to be. So uh, no, that was a great elevated pitch and I'm glad we recorded it. Cause I'm going to, uh, trans- <laughs> exactly. I'm going to transcribe it and adapt it. So thank you. <laughs> right. I, mean, I had to ask that question. So, yeah. so then this would probably be the second follow-up question in the elevator pitch is, do you need to know Star Trek before playing this game? Nathan, mm-hmm. question. I would, uh, I would personally recommend it because it gives you, because it means that you've got that, that, that natural on-ramp. But the game is designed to try and encourage those kind of Star Trek-like outcomes mm-hmm. and uh, that, that kind of style of story and that kind of feel at the table anyway. that yeah, I've, I've heard plenty of testimony from people that have said it, it feels like Star Trek. Even people that don't know Star Trek end up playing it like Star Trek would play out. And I have um, to give, and again, going back to what I told you before, um, in three cases where I played it with someone who never knew anything about Star Trek, they asked me right after which Star Trek show should I start watching? Oh, yeah. And that was amazing to me. So I got my little niece watching, you know, start her on Prodigy. <laughs> um, and and uh, my nephew, I said, oh, you're more of a Voyager person, you know. So I started a, launching in that. So that was kind of cool to me. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Good. Um, and so now I'm going to ask the whole product line so far, Star Trek Adventures RPG. Yeah, maybe you, you might say the core rule book, but but what is your favorite product so far, Nathan? <laughs> what are you laughing at, Jim? I, I mean, I, I, I want Nathan to answer and then I'll, and then I'll provide color commentary. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. It could be even a page or, or a part of it. I, just something that like you really love. Honestly, it's still going to have to be the the, the the core book, the very the very start of it. Um, you know, I put I put a lot of effort into into that, and I feel really proud of what it came together as, um, with the contributions of all the other writers that were brought on, and the other artists and so forth. And, I know the Elkar's design is a little bit uh, divisive in some in some cases. It's not not it doesn't it, not everybody reads it as easily. Um, I still think it looks amazing on a tablet. Um, <laughs> I, I had um, to go get my book just so you could see how tattered it is now. Fortunately, I have two backups plus two Klingons plus the <laughs> plus the plus the to uh, the tricorder kit. But look how I've used this to death at this point. Yeah. I, I, I taped my I taped mine up, but mine's got the same kind of look and feel to it. Yeah, absolutely. Um Nathan, well, I, I don't oh, as much text, uh, but that's mainly because I don't really look up much in it because I know what's in mm-hmm. I've got that kind of memory for game mechanics where I don't really need to look up much during play. Yeah. Um so I normally have the book on the table for the players to look at more than um, myself. Yeah, I, I refer to it a lot, mostly because like I, I know what's in it, but I don't always remember the exact page numbers. And so when people online are asking questions or they can't remember a thing, I'll just I'll pull out the core rule book and flip to the page and give them the page reference on on social media or something just to help them navigate. Because uh, I, I guess some of them still don't know how to use a search engine or to use the PDF search uh, function. 
and which is fine, right? I mean, I, I will admit that 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 core book, um, like in terms of like the index, it's it's a little hard to navigate sometimes. But using the using a PDF in the search engine within the PDF is so easy to put in the search term and find it. So uh, yeah, we'll do absolutely. an episode on Control F and help people yeah, out. Yeah, Control F. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, All right. I was going to ask something now. I can't remember what the, what the heck it was. It was um, my oh, initial question was favorite. You, uh, like like I, I don't know how Nathan feels about it, but like asking what's your favorite product, you know, in a given game line or something. Like for me personally, for Star Trek, is like how, how do I pick my favorite child, right? Like how do I pick my favorite, uh, um, you know, candy or something? It's just like there's so many, there's so many, and like everyone. I mean, you know, Nathan's worked on a lot of the books. I've worked on most of the books. It's like each book has a different story, like in terms of its inception and creation and stuff. And um, I don't know that I have a favorite. Um, I, I think uh, the command book is kind of special to me because that was my first real book that I kind of like was involved in the majority of it. Um, but, you know, the core book has a special place, too, for two reasons. Number one, it gave me an opportunity to do some writing on the game that I that I love so much. You know, Star Trek is such a huge, important property to me that I really wanted an opportunity to get into it, into this game at the ground level, almost the ground level, because uh, I, I had missed out on working on Last Unicorn Games, and I just missed working on Decipher's Star Trek game, because at the time, Decipher had both Lord of the Rings and Star Trek. I was already deeply working on the Lord of the Rings game, and I was starting to talk to the people who were involved in Star Trek, and they started sending me some of the material so I could start working on the uh, on the next generation. They were going to do a next generation book, and I was starting to get my hands into, like, what, what was that going to look like? Uh, and then the company collapsed <laughs> and, the, and the licenses went away. I was like, oh, I just missed the opportunity to work on Star Trek. Um, but, uh, but yeah, one, so. One of the things I, I feel, I just, my personal observation of you, Jim, I also feel a lot of your passion was in the Gamma Quadrant book. That one, uh, we've talked, no, Gamma. Oh, no, Gamma. No, you're right, Gamma. Yeah, yeah. I felt your, yeah, I, I, yeah. I felt because I know you're a lover of DS9. So, yeah. so let me, based on that, Nathan, uh, whether it was intentional or not intentional with the game design, I guess both both of you can answer this because I've talked about it before. These have become the official, in my opinion, guidebooks to the Star Trek universe. We know that there's, you know, you can get stellar cartography maps. You can go out there and you can buy a Voyager book, um, mm -hmm. you know, but I compare them. I read them both. And if I have to write something or really needed to get details about about Star Trek, these books are super comprehensive. Nathan, was that intentional? What drove that? So from so the, a lot of the kind of the overall uh, early project management for the core rule book uh, before uh, Jim uh, took over in that regard uh, was uh, led by uh, uh, Samantha Webb. Um, who was head of RPGs and kind of just moved into the head of RPGs role at the time. Uh, she's moved on to other other jobs in the company because uh, no one stays still for long but, uh, in the deputy for me because um, I'm happy where I am. Um, but the, a lot of the early intention was that we would assume that you already had a decent or, or at least a basic foundation of Star Trek knowledge and already had enough of a or and, and anything that you didn't really know could be found about the, like the, the basics of it could be found easily in online places like memory alpha. Um, I mean, if it's good enough for Simon Pegg, when he was writing Star Trek beyond, it's good enough for everybody else. So, and I referenced it extensively during, um, the core uh, during development. Um, so a lot of the intent was to kind of 
with with the the background material and things like that was to more flesh out rather than provide a, a basic prime. So all of our, our sidebars, all of our background sidebars were all done from different cultures' perspectives on other events. Um, to try, yeah, showing perspectives beyond the basic one, Jack, kind of showing, uh, different ways of looking at things and looking maybe a little bit deeper in some places. Um, so the idea of them being kind of a go-to first source. I don't think it was ever intended. I just think that comes out as a result of the passion of the people involved. Yeah, because it really points you in the right direction. To that point, you're right. It is definitely um, an add-on to the base information, which for me drives me back to the online sources to get more details if I need to. But I, but, but the online sources where they give you the facts, uh, Star Trek Adventures oftentimes gives you the feelings behind, like, say, the Dominion War and what was going on, those perspectives. That's interesting that you say that. Jim, did you want to add to that? Yeah, I, I just wanted to add that that's absolutely, like, I, I mean, I certainly can't know what uh, Samantha's thought process was in, in, in starting to develop it, but I, I think I get it. Um, but it's certainly an intention of mine to continue to deepen that. And I think um, to what you're saying, though, is um, I think when you are approaching a role-playing game, and in fact, I, I really strongly felt this when we were developing the discovery book, um, you know, and you're, and you're presenting that setting like we we as RPG writers and you know game masters, even uh, we have to go into so much depth on a setting and to, to like figure out how does it work? What's the connective tissue from Enterprise to original series, including Stranger Worlds and then Discovery? And how does that all fit? And it's not just here's here's what happened. Right. Here's not we have to go to the next level. We have to go levels down. So that when you're creating a character, the character understands what's happened because the characters would know. And, and the more you know as a player, the more the more um, you know realistic your character is going to be when you're playing it. And I think that's why I love the old RPG stuff, like the the FASA and the Last Unicorn games, and even the Decipher stuff. Like they try to get into some of that, where they weren't just presenting the surface of like here's what happened in Star Trek, and here's what Frangies are, and here's what you know Klingons are, but like to take that next level. To say, well, you know, this happened here, and this happened here, and this happened here, and then now you've got this culture, and now you've got all these things that happen, and you've got all this texture and detail that an RPG you got to have for an RPG in order to create characters and to create storylines that that feel like they fit, right? And yeah. so, um, I, I just I, I am always kind of like like that feeling that Nathan was talking about earlier, or maybe in the last episode, where uh, you, you kind you're kind of nonplussed about the response that that you get from fans that they're like, Oh, these are great reference materials. I'm using these to help my, write my fan fiction. Or I'm, I'm using these to help develop my characters and stuff. You, you, you put, you put so much detail into these. This is great. And it's like, okay, <laughs> that's awesome. Like, they're like, you know, we're intentional about it, but it's not like we're consciously thinking about it. So it's like, I just know, I guess as a longtime gamer, I guess I just know intuitively how much detail we need to put into the books to give gamers the best chance of, of, of really telling a good story that feels like Star Trek. And I think to get that Star Trek feel, you really need to dig down deep into it. And, you know, you don't have to watch every episode because like, who's got time to watch a thousand hours of Star Trek other than, you know, me and Nathan, I'm sure. <laughs> and, and, and you, Michael. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think the more detail we can put into the books, that's going to save gamers time. Right, because they don't have to go watch the the, the thousand hours of episodes because we've already done it. But we've done the work, and now we're distilling it down into a format that hopefully makes sense, so that you can pull out all the little nuggets of gold out of the books and uh, and make it, use of them. 
Yeah, it pinpoints the episodes too, because there's been yeah. times where I'm like, ooh, I totally missed that. Uh, especially with the Discovery campaign. We talked about that one. Right. That b- the book motivated me to go watch it again because yeah. I was like, I there was so much glamour to the show that I was mm-hmm. missing some key details. So that was a really well-designed book. Nathan, yeah. I, I haven't even asked, do you play in a regular group yourself? Do you play through the game? Do um, you have time? I'm, I'm not playing in a current Star Trek Adventures group. Um I've only recently started getting back to face-to-face gaming um and can only really spare the time for one regular group every other week and the mo- at the moment that's a one of 40,000 um wrath and glory game with a few friends um i I'll, the majority of my star trek adventures play is uh demonstration games and one-offs uh, and things like that um and i find that you know a good one shot is a very is very much its own kind of experience separate from um the the benefits you get from a, a long term campaign. Um very much a proponent of being able to do like short curated campaigns and one off games that stand on their own. Yeah. Good. So now in hindsight, you know, again, you've been working on this before 2017, before it came out. Is there anything that, that you would do differently if you could go back and, and tweak something? Um, from the original core, from the original game as it was first released, um, yes, there are a few elements of that that I would um, have that I would have handled differently, and I'm grateful that we had the opportunity with the Klingon core book to address some of those. So the character advancement and the renown and reputation rules um, were a good opportunity to to deal with some deal with a, an issue that I had. You know, I hadn't had I hadn't really given myself the time to develop properly um in the original form um and beyond that just the opportunity to to polish it a little bit further and refine uh, on what we'd already um established because as much as the the core of the the core of the game is that is there and is solid um the way it's presented and the way it's uh it's represented on the page can always use uh can always be iterated upon um any rpg is always a there's always a tension between this is a manual for learning how to play the game versus this is a reference that for you to go back and look at afterwards and what serves one goal doesn't serve won't serve the other so you've got to find the balance between the two and no one gets it right first time right yeah and I know it's constantly in development too. I know Jim is constantly, um, you know, looking in new books to 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 present because of that. Is it, do you have a favorite Easter egg that's maybe in one of the books that you think people don't uh, cherish enough? I like asking those Easter egg questions. I mean, not entirely cherish enough. I think it will be overstating the response I'd expect from it. But um, in every single list of science-based focuses. Uh, in the Klingon core book, I mentioned time travel because Klingons seem to have been the ones that invented it in Star Trek. Okay. Um, I also put in at least one reference in the Klingon core book and in the command book of Shakespeare in the original Klingon. Mm-hmm. That's so funny. I ran into a YouTube performance <laughs> of that the other day. <laughs> Jim, did you? I like asking you too. Do you have a favorite Easter egg? Oh geez, um, there are so many. Golden, uh, golden comics. What? 
I, I remember once you really liked the one about Golden co- the comic series. Uh, oh, for in the in uh, uh, in the Shackleton book, yeah, because we because we had um, um, uh, Rich Handley, who was the editor on the uh, Hero Collector uh, comic book series. He, uh, he he he. I asked him to write a sidebar, and he dropped in Kia Gold, which I thought was a very very subtle. I mean, he, he, that was all him. I appreciate it, um, but uh, I know fans like that. Uh, you know, I don't think I have a favorite Easter egg, and, and part of that part of the reason I say that is I know it's a dodge. But I have such a short memory for these books is like I, I am so super hyper focused on one book to make sure it's as good as it can be before I let it go and move on to the next one. That when I move on to the next one, I have to like mentally purge my brain to kind of like clear the RAM so that I'm ready to go on to the next book. And so like um, and that's why when we do those videos, Michael, about the older books, um, older books, they're only five years old. But uh, like I, I'm looking at them fresh again after years and like, oh, shoot, I don't remember half the stuff that was in here. This is great stuff. Or, you know, I, I had forgotten all these details. Um, I, I'm sure there's some like I know that some of the and I'm sure I'm not the only game master who's gone on to work on RPGs that does this. But like I drop on I drop in Easter eggs from my old campaigns. So like my old ship names, my own my old character names, some of the situations they're they're sprinkled in there. But those are Easter eggs that are more for me and for my group if they ever bothered to read the books. Um, like you know, average fan is going to read it, and it's just they're not even going to see it. They don't have the the history or the or the or the um the context, right? Um, so no, I don't have a favorite. I I think uh, I I threw in the pack leads into the core book in a couple sidebars. And I thought that was kind of fun, and then they just kind of became a thing for me. The pack leads. I always try to include pack leads somewhere in the book. So you know, the command book and the sciences, a couple other ones have pack lead references. I was able to do that piece of artwork for the for the gamma quadrant book with the pack lids. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Um, so, so yeah, I don't, I don't know that I have a favorite Easter egg. Uh, I do appreciate though. And, and in fact, I'll just say that some of my writers put in Easter eggs that I'm confident I'm missing and, but I trust them. And of course we get paramount to approve everything anyway. So uh, I'm sure like Aaron, I'm sure he's dropped in some Easter eggs that, that have completely gone over my head. And I'm sure he's satisfied that, that, that they're in the book still, but uh I've done some too, but if I tell you, then you're going to have to look for them. I'm not going to. That's okay. It's okay. And and that's fine because like they're in there because you know, they're in there and and they give you a sense of satisfaction that they're in there, which is, which is great because that's something we get to do because we're working on these books. And uh, when we're working on them late at night or something, we drop in these Easter eggs and uh, sometimes the fans catch them and, and sometimes they don't. And that's, that's okay. Yeah. The most obvious one I had that, that, it was so obvious, but still, I feel it was an Easter egg. Was giving seven of nine Shunkatsi in the Picard uh, uh, in the Picard. Yeah. And I was like, I can't believe that got passed. Yeah, I thought it, that was my homage to the Rock. Okay, uh-huh. so so Nathan, question to you then: um, Where do you envision Star Trek RPG going in the next, say, three to five years? You know, there's so many more shows and stuff going on. What do you envision happening? <laughs> The ideal for me, rather than because I'm, I'm not the one that that leads the that leads any of the project management or you know decides what gets made, but the ideal would be continuing to um, take advantage of all the new material that um, Paramount keep doling out keep uh, doling out to us. I have thoroughly enjoyed um, Strange New Worlds, and uh, can't wait to see uh, where that goes beyond. Where that goes further, I'm eagerly looking forward to the new season of Lower Decks, uh, which is due to arrive any any time now. And um, for anybody that was paying attention during um, Comic Con, there's going to be a Lower Decks and Strange New Worlds crossover, which is just um, 
they actually said you know, I, I rewatched the panels um it they're gonna have um Boimler and Beckett in live action in Lower Decks and there, uh, there was also mention of a strangely buff animated version of Pike as well <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be incredible I, mean, I love I can't the, wait yeah I, I love that Star Trek you know, they take themselves seriously, but they also have this humorous side, which placates the fans, too. Um, I, I remember, uh, no, I can't tell that story yet. Darn it. Never mind. NDA. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so so then, with that said, Nathan, it, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. I'd want to carry on doing products that, that tie in with the newer shows and, the, and whatever else gets produced. Um if we could get the, the if we could get the prodigy right, I could see that being an amazing kind of lower age group starter tech. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Type products. Yeah, aiming a little bit lower, simplify the rules a little bit. Mm. Um, for yeah, yeah, yeah. For that, that that demographic. Um, oh, you have it's all, drawing now. That's 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 wonderful. The opportunities just to keep, just to carry on playing in that sandbox. Right. Um, it, uh, it's just lovely. And yeah, while I get dragged off to work on other projects and other games and, um, the, and the, the system in general, um, I'm glad that, uh, every so, every so often Jim drops me a, a set of rules that have just come out of the, the writers for me to check over so I can make sure that they're all up to the same sorts of standard that, you know, that we, that we set with the, uh, in the beginning and yeah does it uh, does occasionally ask yeah we've got this big project to come up do you want to be involved in it yeah if i can find the time then absolutely so yeah. so then i gotta ask you then you know going back in time you know the story you told us in the last show you know how you first picked up your your first rpg how old were you by the way i didn't even ask you when you first i was uh 17 back then so it would have okay. been about uh, 20 years ago because i'm 37 now Okay, so thinking about that, you know, when you picked up that first book at age 17, you hardly thought maybe you would have, you'd be where you are right now, you know, writing on on a major IP, not just one, but others, you know, for the for the RPG industry. What about you, your future? Where do you want to go? How can we help you get there? <laughs> what, what, what do you envision or want? Uh, honestly, I'm so thankful to have or to have achieved what I've already achieved, that, 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 that it almost seems greedy to ask for more. Um, <laughs> I've got ideas that I'm uh, that I'd like to develop in future that uh, I'm not ready to share with anybody beyond uh, beyond the guy I see in the mirror every morning. Um, simply because they're in such an early stage that I, I'd want to flesh them out more before I started showing anybody else about them. Uh, yeah, about them. Um, it's all fairly vague, and I'm I'm content to keep to carry on carrying on for the time being. Um, seeing what other projects Modiphius is going to send my way, and um, seeing the opportunities that that uh, uh, that uh, that produces, and if that means getting to work on more Star Trek, then it's a hard life. Well, well whatever member of DTI transported into that shop. When you were 17 and put that book just poked it out a little bit for you to see uh made made a great uh impact on the future of star trek adventures rpg so we totally appreciate I mean, it. it wouldn't have just been that i've been various things as i said i've been watching star trek since i was a 
yeah, you know, since I was a, a, a small child, um, you know, grew up with TNG and uh, I'm one of those guys who, as a kid, I had the TNG technical manual um, and the thing disintegrated from use. It <laughs> fell apart. Yes. I can still almost from heart reference obscure technical details about Star Trek technology. That it, and as skilled as a GM, that's not bad. I, yeah, it's <laughs> not, not a bad one to have. I'm going to test you on that one day. I'm going to be like, okay, what's the part right above the matter injector assembly? <laughs> I'm going to just create a bunch of trivia questions for you. <laughs> That's awesome. Jim, what, uh, Jim, what about you? Any other questions? Uh, for me? Yeah, I was going to, I was going to ask, uh, I was going to ask Nathan. Uh, so, you know, aside from, uh, um, aside from Star Trek, obviously, and, and you know, if you can't answer this because you've got thoughts in your, in your, in your, in your hide, um, like if there was, if there was one, game setting or ip or or thing that is like you're super passionate about that you would like to do like that you would like to work on what what is it is that something that you can share or is that is that you're, you're gonna hold that close this is one that i have shared a few times um yeah. given the opportunity i would leap at uh the chance to write uh a tabletop rpg for the mass effect universe mass effect okay I've always been more sci-fi than fantasy, and for all that I started off with uh, a fantasy RPG, because and they're more common than sci-fi ones anyway. Sci-fi RPGs are, are are a much bigger thing for me, and the Mass Effect series is one of my favorite newer uh, sci-fi settings um, out there. Got it. Got it. Okay. Very cool. Um, was there something I was going to say something, but it's so it's so it's a totally a non sequitur now. Um, but only because it came up earlier, I'm going to just drop it in here, even though it's, that's not kosher to do for most reviews. But Nathan, I, I honestly don't remember if I ever told you, but about this was pre-COVID. So it had to have been like 20, 2018 or 2019. I was at a convention and um, and uh, Michael and Denise Okuda happened to be there as well. And um, at, the way the convention worked is Friday nights. All the guests would be in this huge long hallway. We'd be signing books by the fans and stuff, right? And usually by 1130, most of the fans had petered out and we were just sitting there across the hall from each other, just staring at each other because we're bored. So what, what we would do is writers, we would just pick up our books and wander around the tables and get people to sign them. Um, at the time, I, I didn't have a, have a book. I, I did not bring a book with me that Michael and Denise had worked on, but I did have my core book because I want I, I get fans to sign my core book. Or at least I did back when we were doing conventions before before the dark times, um, and so I, I took the core book over to Michael and Denise, and I asked them to sign it. And and Michael spent probably ten minutes flipping through it, and he said that he he thought we did an amazing job of translating his Elcar's design into a book format. He hadn't seen that really before, quite to the extent that we had done it. And um, I don't remember if I told you or Mihao or the other other design folks, but. Uh, he and Denise were really impressed with the, just the overall presentation, not just the, you know, the design, of course, but like just what we were doing with it. And they were gracious enough to sign it for me. So I've got Mike and Denise's uh, <laughs> signatures in my book, but I don't remember if I had told you that, Hey, we have a, we, we, we kind of have an informal blessing from Michael and Denise on the layout. Oh, yeah. so that's kind of what I tell fans is like, I know you don't like the L cars. I know you don't like the, the white text on the black background, but you know, uh, it works for the purposes that we needed it to do. Like it looks great on a tablet and it looks great on screen. And, you know, it, visually, like I'm, I'm getting old, so my eyes aren't what they used to be. But uh, 
uh, I thought I thought it was a really bold choice for the time. I remember the, I remember the conversations though on Moxtra. We were like, "Are we sure we want to do a black background because it's so hard to read in print?" <laughs> but we went with it. So, uh, uh, but I just wanted to make sure I gave you that anecdote just because it was it, it came up in conversation. I don't recall hearing it before, but uh, yeah, very cool to. <clears throat> if so if someone told me that maybe i'd be like what are you serious you're just you're so me like if stan lee ever said michael i read your comic book you know and he's like i would about ah you know, you, <laughs> you you get awards you have you know the l cars designer you know you know uh complimented you're like yeah all right <laughs> i'm british with yeah we, we master understatement <laughs> well, well, it's no overstatement to say that um, we've been belated in having you on continuing conversations. Uh, I mean, your name comes up everywhere. We're constantly discussing the books and the design and the system. So, Nathan, uh, my shout out is actually going to go to you today um, as a huge shout out because I just appreciate now meeting you a little bit better, seeing that your passion just for RPG and for storytelling um, has been noticed by Modiphius and, and they're able to gift us with, with your talent every time you, you lay finger on, on, on a book. So my thank you is to you for that, Nathan. What about you, Jim? You want to give a shout out? Yeah. I mean, not to, not to embarrass our guests, but, uh, uh we, I, I do try to uh, shout out you as often as I can on these different interviews, whether it was with Michael or other folks I interview with to talk about the design and, uh, how, how great of, how great of a game you gave us that we're able to build on it now, right? We're able to build these products all, all on everything that you've done. And uh, I just, I can't thank you enough for, for that. I mean, on a, on a professional level, right? Cause it's such a big game and it makes it so easy for me as a project manager to build stuff on it. Cause like, Oh, I got this great solid foundation. I don't, we don't have to create new mechanics or, or try to make like, we don't have to, you know, kludge around it to make it fit. It's just like, it's already there. It's all there. It was all there in the core book. It was all there in the playtest documents. And then it went on for there. So thank you for, for that. And then, uh, you know, on a personal level, thank you for being so available. Like I know that um, you are very busy with all the different stuff Modiphius is throwing at you. And yet you still find time to answer my emails when I have, when, when, we, when we get rules questions from uh, uh, foreign translators who, who say like, we don't understand how this rule works. Why does this rule work this way? And then like, I have to go into the way back machine, like how, I don't remember. And then I can bug Nathan because Nathan's got a good memory. And it's like, do you remember this conversation? Like in the Klingon <laughs> book, why did we do this? Why, why, what was our design reasoning for this? Cause I can't remember. Cause like I said, I have a short memory, but Nathan does not. And so um, I'm just grateful that you are still available to answer all those little piddly questions that as a project manager, I should probably know. But because I am not this, the 2D20 SME, and I know you are, um, I, I'm grateful that I'm able to reach out to you. And uh, yes, you, you are always on the top of my list for every book we work on. And uh, I just know it's hard to get on your schedule to get you to do stuff. But like, absolutely, you are you are going to be first on my list to work on literally anything Star Trek related. And uh, I, I know that's that's something that you appreciate. And I, I would love to get you writing more, but I know you're busy. So, and, and you know, I know that, you know, system design is a passion of yours and as far as like star trek goes like the system's done <laughs> for the most part right except for little little tweaks that you can make to it so i i i totally get that you want to go on to the next big you know interesting design challenge um but yeah anytime you want to dabble anytime you want to play in the star trek universe don't hesitate to reach out to me and i will uh, i will find a way to get you into it so uh thank you Nathan, any final words for our, our fans of Star Trek Adventures RPG who are listening in? You gave, I know I'm going to be watching this back a couple of times because you actually gave me some really good 
design and writing things to keep in mind that I need to yeah. go through all my current projects and make sure I'm following the ticking, ticking those off. But yeah. any final words for our STA fans? The main one would be this. The game was meant very much as a toolkit. It very much meant to be an assortment of tools and techniques that you can use to make your game whatever you want it to be. An RPG isn't complete without the GM and the group um, running it. I've done my part. It's up to you how you use what uh, how you use what's there. Oh, passing the baton. Love it. All mm-hmm. right. Well, that wraps up this episode of Continuing Conversations. Again, huge thank you to Nick Dowd- uh, Nathan Dowdell. Um, IDIC is how I always go out, Jim. And live long and prosper. Be safe. Be well. We'll talk to you all next time. And we'll have Nathan on again some someday again soon. But uh, be well, everybody. Bye.